You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. A long time afterward, when Yahweh had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that Yahweh your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is Yahweh your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west." Yahweh your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as Yahweh your God promised you. Therefore be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to Yahweh your God just as you have done to this day. For Yahweh has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is Yahweh your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love Yahweh your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them, and they with you, Know for certain that Yahweh your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that Yahweh your God has given you. And now I am about to go to the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that Yahweh your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that Yahweh your God promised you concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so Yahweh will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that Yahweh your God has given you, if you transgress the covenant of Yahweh your God which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of Yahweh will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and led him through all the land of Canaan, and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to Yahweh, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, 
and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornets before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now therefore fear Yahweh and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve Yahweh. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve Yahweh, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake Yahweh to serve other gods. For it is Yahweh our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And Yahweh drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve Yahweh, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve Yahweh, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake Yahweh and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve Yahweh. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen Yahweh to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you, and incline your heart to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, Yahweh our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone, and set it up under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of Yahweh. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of Yahweh that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. After these things Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of Yahweh, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath-Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. Israel served Yahweh all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that Yahweh did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. 
It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 698 of this podcast. Today is Saturday, August 26th, 2023. And that was a reading of Joshua chapter 23 and chapter 24, which brings us to the close of the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. As you caught there, we have the timeless statement from Joshua Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That right there, that is what we're going to be talking about in this episode. That posture, that mindset, that attitude. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve Yahweh. It's a pretty stark passage. Not just because of what's happened to this point, but because of what comes next. What We will read about in the book of Judges and also how the rest of the Old Testament goes. This really is a hinge point, a significant hinge point, because what you have is the people of Israel having inherited their land and everybody after Joshua gives his final remarks, everybody goes back home to their new homes, their new homes in the inheritance that God has fulfilled his promise in giving to them just as he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we have a quick recap from Joshua. He reminds them. He tells them again, this is where you come from. This is the backstory. Here's the context that you are currently now inhabiting. And so therefore, you can't say anybody had an excuse. Nobody was able to plead ignorance or, oops, yeah, I didn't know. I forgot. No, no, he reminds them. And they are cognizant in the thing that they say back to him, oh, no, no, we will serve Yahweh. And he says, well, then put away the idols that are among you, which strongly suggests that there are idols among them right now, and they're harboring this temptation. They're harboring the egress exit, so to speak, for worship of Yahweh. And also, oh, by the way, in recent chapters leading up to 23 and 24, the close of the book of Joshua, we find that they are not totally driving out the inhabitants. They didn't keep God's command to totally drive out these peoples. And it starts with being deceived. Remember, it starts with one city's people putting on a show, putting on a theatrical display, being dramatic, putting on shabby clothes, and even going to the lengths of pulling dry bread and burst wineskins, old wineskins out of storage and then pretending to Israel that they are from a far-off land. They've come to join Israel. They've heard about Israel, which in some sense flatters Israel, but it deceives Israel. 
They trick Israel into making a covenant with them, not to harm them and to let them serve them. And then they realize, then they find out, hey, wait a second, you're one of those peoples we're supposed to drive out. Why did you trick us? Well, now, Cliff's Notes version, we didn't want to die. <laughs> that was kind of a, a big deal for us. It was a priority that we would not die. We would rather be your slaves and chop wood for you and do whatever else you want. You want us to draw water? We'll draw water. That would be better for us than dying. It starts with that. And then, next thing you know, we have these little statements of so-and-so, such-and-such a people was not completely driven out, and they remain among Israel to this day. And then, a little later on, we find that this tribe could not, and then they became strong enough, and they did not. They could not at first, but then they chose not to. And so then... We come to Joshua 23 and 24, where Joshua says, you are on notice when you intermarry with and make pacts with and make covenants with these peoples you were supposed to drive out. They are going to draw your hearts away from God. They haven't renounced the worship of their gods. That was the whole reason why they were being driven out of Canaan in the first place. When you intermarry with them, they're going to lead you astray. They're going to lead you into the worship of their gods, and God is going to do you harm. Just as much good as he did in keeping all of his promises, he's kept all of his promises. Just like that, he's also going to keep the promise to discipline you, to punish you. But it's fascinating to me that Joshua is old at this point, and he's not going to be around much longer, and yet he makes this stand. He makes this statement, this commitment, that personal commitment, because why, right? Why does he do it? He can see already the handwriting is on the wall that already Israel is beginning to set the stage for their faithlessness, their rebellion, their disobedience, their idolatry to come. They're already on the verge of worshiping other gods, intermarrying with these peoples who have been allowed to settle among them. All it takes is the neighbor girl is cute stuff and your boy, the Israelite, is like, dad, please, I really like her. I really like this girl. She's so cute. She's so smart. She's so funny. She's so charming. And at first it'll be, no, 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 son. You know what we believe. You know what we say about this. You know where we stand on this. You know what the warnings are. Yeah, I know, dad. I know, but she's so nice. She's so lovely. Oh, I just have to have her, please. And enough of that nagging. And eventually, Israelite parents will start to say, sure, fine, fine. Like in Fiddler on the Roof, where you have this gradual erosion from one daughter to the next to the next, until one of Tevye's daughters is marrying a Gentile who's not Jewish. And whatever his quality, whatever his appeal, whatever his charm, however nice he seems to be, he's not a Jew. And so it's a departure. It's a departure from tradition, from their identity as a people, as a distinct people, as God's people. And then what do you know? Very quickly, once the Joneses boy down the street is marrying a Canaanite girl, Pretty soon, 
that's what your daughter is saying to you is, hey, well, (laughs) Tommy's dad, let him marry a Canaanite girl. What's the difference between that and me marrying this cute Canaanite boy? Some daughter is going to say that to her dad. And pretty soon, everybody is intermarrying with and then worshiping alongside, having interfaith services and prayer meetings with the Canaanites. And not only are you saying the names of these gods, but you're saying these names in prayer and you're saying it's all just one God, Yahweh God and these other gods of the Canaanites. What's the difference? It's all the same. They're all the same person. And then comes the judgment because then you're not obeying Yahweh God. You're obeying whatever commands suit your interests, suit the occasion, whatever commands of whichever God since you say they're all the same God, whichever commands, whichever permissions, whichever axioms will grant you the license to do whatever you wanted to do, that's what you'll say is your religion. And then it's not just idolatry. Then it's child sacrifice again. Then it's sexual immorality again. Then it's fraud and deceit and chicanery and trickery and violence and murder and judgment. Not to give too much away, but that's basically the trajectory from here on. And yet, Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve. And so there is a choice component not to be missed. There's a covenant from God and God is faithful and sovereign and God is true and he's good and he keeps his word. He does what he says he's going to do. But then bear in mind, He says he is going to bring harm, discipline for those who are his people, and correction for those who are his people, and that is actually a mercy. It may not be pleasant at the time when you get disciplined, but it is a mercy because God is saying he is your father. If he disciplines you and corrects you and doesn't just leave you in your sins, that's the most loving thing he could do is to bring you around to the right way of things again. But then for those who are not his people, who are maybe claim to be his people, as Jesus says to the Pharisees, God can make sons of Abraham out of these stones. You say you're sons of Abraham. Hmm. So what? Joshua says, as for me and my household, we will serve Yahweh. And why I want to delve into that, not just because it's a famous passage and it's very quotable, but I want to delve into it because it is So easy, the more familiar we are with it, it is so easy for us to fail to appreciate the significance of the statement. And right now, in the United States of America, my context, in the state of Colorado, my context, in Weld County, my context, Greeley, more specifically, my context, all bets are off as to what the coming days, weeks, months, years have in store for people who say, as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. All bets are off. What our neighbors are going to do, what our towns and our cities and our counties and our states and our country will do. All bets are off. Anything may be permissible and may be justified and may be spun so as to give license to evil, all manner of evil and the silencing, and preying upon those who don't exchange bitter for sweet, but they 
speak truly. People who aspire to live a quiet life, minding their own affairs, working with their hands, maintaining a good reputation with outsiders to the best of their abilities. They aspire to that. There's no guarantee that it's even possible right now to do that because as soon as someone finds out that because you believe good is good and evil is evil, true is true and a lie is a lie, because you call things by their names, as soon as a lot of people find that out about you, they're going to be looking for ways to neutralize you, to marginalize you, to put you on the outskirts, to put you outside of the circle of confidence, which decides how profitable your work will be, what kind of work you will do, but also whether you will have friends, whether you will have companionship, whether you will be able to enjoy what the mainstream is able to enjoy, whether you're even permitted to enjoy in peace what is yours, whether anything is regarded as yours. These are the kinds of things which are being teased right now that nothing will belong to you, not even your children, parents. When it's being disputed, it's being debated that even your children are your children, you can't tell me that we're living in the same country we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. These are dark days. And yet, God is faithful. He has not grown weak. His reach has not shortened. His memory is not dimmed. Ancient of days, he is. But he is not like some people in positions of authority we know and are familiar with who have a struggle completing sentences, walking from point A to point B, even with finger pointing and signage and someone holding their arm. The Ancient of Days, the Most High God, Lord of all creation, is not dim. He is not lax. He is not slow, but he's rich in mercy, and he gives more grace to his people, and he gives time, and this is common grace, for those who have not yet repented from their sin and turned and sought his face. He gives time, and so seek his face while there is time. When Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh, what I read, what I see, what I perceive is he is not going to, in his final days, hold out hope that Israel can be salvaged. If he just puts in a little more time, if he just puts in a little more positivity, a little more encouragement, they will stay on the straight and narrow. No. No, in fact, the way he's talking is you're already headed there. This stone here testifies against you, which is to say he has no confidence that they are going to serve Yahweh as soon as he's gone. In fact, it would seem he anticipates they will break rank and they will intermarry with the Canaanites and they will worship with the Canaanites, other gods, and they will sin against Yahweh, their God, and break this covenant And yet he says, as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. And let me just implore you with everything else that's going on, as much as I want to talk about current events, as much as I want to talk about what's going on in the broader world, and we should be aware, but not anxious, not fearful, not angry, but we should be aware, we should be sober and vigilant for our adversary. The devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. As much as I want you to appreciate the context in which we now live, 
I want even more for you to be sober about what are your affairs. You have affairs. That has to be the case. That has to be the way of things for what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica to be coherent. There has to be such a thing as your affairs. What are they? If they're not your household being provided for and protected, your children being brought up in the fear and instruction of the Lord, if they're not you loving your wife as Christ loved the church, ladies, you submitting to your husband, your own husband as unto the Lord in all things, children, if it's not you obeying your parents, honoring your father and mother, giving attention to your father's instruction, your mother's teaching, if that's not your affairs, then you have no affairs. You have no business. All is automata. All is robotics, lights and clockwork, and persuasive technology. All is nudge theory and engineered choice. All is inputs and outputs, stimulation of your natural senses, and wait for the pellet to drop. So many rats in a maze being experimented on to figure out how to make a better mousetrap. And yet, he who sits in heaven laughs. And he who sits in heaven knows what is your business, and his word testifies to what is your business. Joshua, as pivotal as he's been, as instrumental as he has been in the trajectory of Israel from the death of Moses to now the fulfillment of the promise of God that this people would have this land as their inheritance, just as God told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he would do, he has done. Joshua's business is not just this people. Joshua's business is his household and his own soul. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? For that matter, what does it profit a man if he forfeits the soul of his household, his wife, his children, his family? to get the world. These things are a means to an end. If someone's threatening your livelihood, your business, your employment opportunities, you're getting a bonus check or getting a commission check, you're getting a promotion or even just getting to keep your job. If someone's threatening all of that based on whether you will affirm and even participate in acts and behavior and a kind of worship that you know offends a holy and righteous God, We must obey God rather than men. As for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. Why does Joshua tell Israel this? One, I think he's trying to set the example. I think he's trying to encourage them to do likewise. Resolve like I am resolving to make sure that your households, men, heads of households, to make sure that your households are serving Yahweh. Resolve with me. Follow my personal example in this. But you choose. That's your choice. I can't choose for you. I'm going to choose for me and my household. I think the other reason is he's putting his own household on notice. Hey guys, whatever the rest of Israel is doing, this is where we stand. This is our position. This is what we believe. This is what we're about. Besides this, I think he's also putting those who are going to choose to worship the gods of the nations on notice. Just so you know, don't even start with trying to entice us to go along with you in the wickedness you are even now entertaining. Don't even start with us. We're not interested. It's like when someone knocks on your door and they're selling something. 
And right out the gate, you tell them, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time. I'm not buying anything. I'm not going to buy anything. I recently did this just this last week. I had a book salesman come to our front door. He seemed like a nice enough young man, college student from Bulgaria, he said, selling books from Southwestern. And I told him, I said, you seem like a nice guy. I don't want to waste your time. I'm not going to buy any books. We love books. I love books. Our house is filled with books. We homeschool, but I'm not going to buy any books. Our neighbors next door and two houses down, they have children as well. You might knock on their doors. Maybe they'll buy some books from you, but I'm not going to buy any books. Thank you. Yes, have a good day. Pleased to meet you, but we're not interested. That is another reason I believe Joshua is saying this. He's drawing a line in the sand, and he's also letting those who also would say, same here, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord also. He's letting them know his household is one that they can trust or they can align themselves with. And that's important. Sometimes we get the wrong idea that to take a stand on a particular question is a waste of time. It is worthless if you don't get everybody convinced to go that direction. No, sometimes the reason to draw the line in the sand is so that you actually will be able to accumulate allies and friends and trading partners and people who will barter with you when the opposite side decides to box you out. Just like they're going to try and find ways to exclude you because, hey, you know, he said he's not interested. Hey, come over here. I want to talk with you about something. When they decide to exclude you, if you have no friends, you're in a precarious spot. If God is your only friend, well, then trust in God. (laughs) That's always a good option. But humanly speaking, it's good for you to have people in your corner. And this is why we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some do. You need all the more to gather with God's people for regular worship, fellowship, teaching, instruction, discussion, getting advice, getting wise counsel, help, support of a practical nature. Not just be warmed and filled, I'll pray for you, but hey, can I help you to do what you need to get done? I know so-and-so is giving you a hard time. How's that going? I've got an idea for you. Talk with so-and-so. Here, we have an extra one of these. It's good for you to draw a line in the sand with some moderation. Don't do so recklessly, but it's good for you to draw a line in the sand so that people who need your help will know they can come to you and ask for help because there's an alignment of priorities. Alike, you worship Yahweh. You serve Jesus. And if your enemies are put on notice, hey, this side over here, we're the people who love God want to serve God. We want to trust in God. We will put our hope in God. If they are deterred from trying something against you and your family, even just a little bit, then that's not a bad thing in my view. I don't think that's the primary reason to draw lines in the sand, but I think it's an acceptable additional reason. Speaking of being strong and courageous though, let's come forward to the present once again And I'll share with you a not-to-be post from yesterday by Mr. Retrops, not his real name, I'm sure. Let Navy veteran Hung Kao, the Senate candidate from Virginia, remind you what's at stake in the perfect political ad. This will be cut one for this episode. I will play the audio. Do watch the video as well if you get a chance, if you get some time. I'll put 
the link in the description for this podcast episode. But for now, here is the audio. Take a listen. This is the scariest sound you will hear when you live in a communist country. This is the last sound my parents heard when their fathers were taken away in the middle of night and they never saw their loved ones again. That's the sound of losing your freedom, the sound of always living in fear. That's my family's real life story. We escaped from Vietnam just days before Saigon fell to the communists. We were given a new life in the most generous country on earth. America saved my life. I graduated from the United States Naval Academy. I earned a master's in physics and fellowships at MIT and Harvard before the left replaced merit with racial quotas. I spent my life trying to repay my debt to America, my country, our country. With 25 years of service in Navy Special Operations, combat in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Somalia. But now our country has taken a dark turn. That's Joe Biden's Justice Department sending two dozen armed agents to arrest a pro-life activist in front of his family. That's Joe Biden's IRS raiding a gun shop and seizing thousands of records from law-abiding gun owners. Our names, our addresses, our social security numbers. That's Joe Biden arresting his challenger in the next election, a former president of the United States. And now a different sound. That's the sound of someone breaking into your home or business. The sound of crime destroying our cities and communities. That's how it all starts. They let criminals back on our streets. Millions of illegal immigrants pour across our border each year, including military-aged men from all over the world and enough fentanyl to kill every man, woman, and child in this country. And the Biden family? Well, that's how it works in a dictatorship. The rules don't apply to the rulers. We are losing our country. You know it, but you also know you can't say it. We're forced to say that wrong is right. We're forced to lie. We can't let that happen. I've been all over the world. Believe me when I tell you, if America fails, There's nowhere else to go. I'm Hung Kao, retired Navy captain running for United States Senate. I still believe America can be the land of opportunity. I have an obligation to fight back against those who want to control our lives and disrupt our families. We need real fighters, not politicians, not bureaucrats, not keyboard warriors acting tough in a custom-made suit. No, not here in America. We must refuse to be intimidated. We must be fearless. I'm Hung Kao. I'm running for Senate, and I approve this message because I'm not done fighting for us. Okay. First of all, fantastic. Excellent. That was an excellent, excellent ad very much in keeping with our nation's founding principles, which have drawn men, women, and children from all over the world for over 200 years. That right there also is why it's so important that the men get involved. We don't just send our wives to go and speak with 
the leaders of the city, the leaders who preside over the public school system, the leaders who decide what laws to pass or how to enforce them. We men need to get involved. We need to bring a dad voice to the discussion. And yes, as a matter of fact, we need to be willing to fight to defend the innocent, to protect the innocent, to protect those who are fatherless, those who are widows, those who are being led away to the slaughter, those who are being oppressed. King Lemuel's mother in Proverbs 31 tells him from little on up, open your mouth for those who are being oppressed, for the poor, for the needy, for those who do not have a voice, open your mouth for those who are having their rights trampled on. Hung Kao, Senate candidate from Virginia, you can't see if you're just hearing the audio in this episode, but he is all decked out in his military gear with his rifle, with his tactical vest, with the fatigues. He's all decked out just as he was when he was serving in our armed forces. What was his reason for joining the armed forces? What is the reason why we even have armed forces in the first place? It's not so that tyrants and corrupt dictator wannabes, it's not so that radical leftists can turn our armed forces on we the people. No, no. We have armed forces to protect us from foreign enemies, from enemy nations. We have armed forces and we have men and uniform because there are bad people in the world who want to do bad things to you and me and our loved ones. We want to take what we have, including but not limited to our lives, if that's what it takes. There are bad people in the world and the bad people with guns have to be confronted by good men who are capable of violence. As Jordan Peterson once said, a good man is not a weak man. A good man is a very dangerous man who has it under control. A gentleman is not a weak man. He's not a man who hides behind books. He's a man who reads books and learns in books how to do his duty, how to protect, how to provide, how to lead his household, how to say, as Joshua did, as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. Hung Kao here is the kind of man we need in leadership. This is the kind of man we need running for office and serving in office. He's the kind of man we need to encourage one another to be if we are men. He's the kind of man we need to aspire to be if we are men. If we would not have our wives, our children, our family, and our friends run roughshod over. It's a poignant image when he puts his family, his parents, and him as a child, and then him graduating from various ceremonies while in the military, when he puts pictures of his parents who came to this country fleeing communist oppression, communist dictatorship, his parents' fathers having been taken away, never to see their families again. And then he brings that full circle and talks about Trump and his supporters getting a knock on the door from armed agents there to arrest them, not because they've broken the law, but because it's hoped that 
there can be some law they are found to have in some way, shape, or form not strictly adhered to, maybe, possibly, or at least let's say we're investigating it. Let's detain them. Let's charge them. And we'll say that we're investigating them until the time has passed where they could have actually challenged us for political power. This is not how it's done in the United States of America. This is not who we have been, but this is who the radical left wants us to be. This is who the communists have wanted us to be for a century. And they've played a long, slow, grindy game with our children's minds, with our minds, through the public education system, compulsory Prussian schooling, government schooling, the corporate news media, higher education, gradually over time, eroding our liberties, regulating our businesses and our households, and even, yes, our worship. Enough. It's time to say no. It's time to say not only no, but if needs be, I'll fight you because what you're doing is wrong. It's evil. You are behaving as an enemy. You're not behaving as a friend. No means no. But it can't be one man who makes that determination. It's useful to draw a line in the sand and say, I say no. But we need to have the courage to stand beside such men when they draw that line in the sand to step onto their side of the line and say, as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh as well. What you don't see in the closing chapters of Joshua, at least it's not mentioned. It doesn't mean it didn't happen, but it's not mentioned. And I feel like it would have been if it had happened. What you don't find is little pockets of various folks listening also saying, as for me and my house, we will also serve the Lord. You have the whole people saying, yes, no, 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 we will serve Yahweh, but they don't. And so also you have to be careful when people do say, oh yes, I'm with you hundred percent. Be careful because maybe they're not actually. They could be lying. (laughs) They may not know actually what they're saying, but it sounded good. They wish it were true of them and maybe they'll just fake it till they make it. No, no. Mean it. Choose this day who you will serve. Choose now. Make up your mind. Get serious. Be sober and vigilant. Or else I'll play for you cut two. If you're not convinced yet, if you think this is my imagination, I'm reading too much into things, I'll play for you cut two. This is from Fort Worth, Texas. Libs of TikTok tweeted this out. Thank you to Candace Hathaway over at The Blaze for covering the story and for embedding the tweet with the video from Libs of TikTok so that I can see it. Take a listen to cut two. Okay, who wants my hot wiener? Oh, yeah, baby. Thank you, sir. We're talking about a hot dog here. It's a hot dog. Page two. Family has a bad day. Dad is angry. These, these are some unfortunate. Hey, don't touch him. He didn't break the law. This is an attack on family. Page three. Hey, he didn't break the law. Who's been over a pretty dumb Hey. Hey, 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 easy now, easy, easy. Take your time. Unconstitutional. Hey, bring down the hot dogs. No 
That was the sound of a man being arrested and removed from a school board meeting on Tuesday, arrested by law enforcement while reading a passage from a sexually explicit LGBT book that was previously available in the district's libraries. Mike C. was escorted out of Fort Worth Independent School District board meeting this week when he began reading vulgar passages from the book Flamer by Mike Carrado. Carrado's book is described as a semi-autobiographical graphic novel set in 1995 that follows the story of a child named Aiden as he navigates friendships, deals with bullies, and spends time with Elias, a boy he can't stop thinking about. He finds himself on a path of self-discovery and acceptance, and that's a quote. Flamer is listed as one of the most challenged books of 2022. According to the American Library Association, the graphic novel has been challenged at least 62 times. The ALA reported the book discusses masturbation and oral sex. During public comment, district officials warned C that he could not read explicit excerpts. The Fort Worth Star-Telegram reported. A video of the school board meeting captured C reading a line from the controversial book on page one. C was immediately interrupted by a board member who slammed her gavel repeatedly and demanded that security remove him from the meeting the video showed. The man attempted to continue reading the Volker book as multiple law enforcement officers surrounded him. The audience shouted over one another as officers escorted him from the podium. Hey, he's not breaking the law. One yelled. Another stated, as you could hear, unconstitutional. The Fort Worth Star-Telegram reported that the graphic novel was removed from the district's elementary and middle school libraries over the summer. Other sexually explicit books, including Genderqueer, a memoir by Maya Kobabi, were also removed from library shelves. Fort Worth's ISD libraries are closed for the first two weeks of classes as school officials review and flag any potentially age-inappropriate content to comply with state law set to go into effect September 1st. Some speakers at the Tuesday meeting thanked district officials for removing approximately 100 books deemed inappropriate for children. They requested the policies be implemented to prevent additional explicit content from making its way into school libraries in the future. Why, if this was just removed over the summer, and it's the kind of book that was in there prior to being removed, couldn't have been removed if it wasn't in there, why... Was it acceptable for this book to have been in there before this summer, and yet it can't be read from at the school board meeting? Why is that? Why is it acceptable for men in uniform with firearms and tasers and pepper spray and all the rest, all the gear, why is it acceptable for them to manhandle a member of the community to forcibly remove them? Why is that okay? simple answer is it's not, it's not, it's, it's not okay, right? This is not okay. It's not okay. And this is why I say based on where we're at right now and where we were five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, the current trajectory is that we're going to have to have men who are capable of not letting their children be taken away from them so that their children can be molested. It's as simple as that. The people who are doing these things are just following orders. But then that's the trouble is we do not have a sound political theology, not a biblical one, when we believe that submission to governing authorities is without qualification, without limit, without boundaries. If we believe that submission to 
human authority is a blank check, then I dare say we have not read our Bible. We have not studied it. We do not believe it if we have studied it. If we come to the conclusion that you submit unquestioningly without reservation to those who have some institutional authority. And that goes across the board. That goes for civil authorities. That goes for church authorities. As for me and my house, Joshua says, we will serve Yahweh. Choose this day whom you will serve. That's a statement of standing and the sphere of the authority of the head of a household, of a father. But even there, if you're under the authority of a head of a household even, and the head of the household tells you you must do some evil, sinful, wicked thing that God says not to do, or you must not do some good, godly thing that God says you must do, even there we have to understand that there is, and we do more intuitively in that regard, partly because the radical left has been trying to build the case for erasing parental rights, erasing parental input or assertiveness, particularly when it's fathers. But even there, submission to authority for the Christian, for God's people, starts with submission to God's authority. When there's a competing claim for your obedience, which does happen, particularly when your society, your country, your people, your nation, your state, your county, your city has decided to be transgressive and to make that the law of the land, thou shalt bow down to the golden statue of the king when the music plays, or else we'll throw you in this fiery furnace. When that happens, you have to obey God rather than men. You just do. And when you see it building up to that, and there still is at least the illusion of free and fair elections where anybody can run, and as long as they meet the base requirements, they can be elected in and then do what they said they would do, they promised to do, as long as it doesn't violate the Constitution. When that's the way of things, we need to be willing to run for political office and support those, vocally support those who similarly would restore law and order and justice, operate according to truth and objective goodness according to God. Otherwise, Romans 13 is something of a mystery where it says the governing authority is a minister of God to reward those who do what is good, to punish those who do what is evil. If we say there is no such thing as good and evil, if we say we're going to exchange the bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter, woe to us, what we will get is what we have. Corrupt men who love bribes, they don't hate bribes, they love bribes, filled with selfish ambition and vain conceit, rewarding those who do what is evil, punishing those who do what is good. Another story out of Texas, though. This one reported on by Mayreed Elordi. Texas mom refuses to sign NDA, that is non-disclosure agreement, to visit her child's public school, complaint claims. A Texas mom says her child's public school asked her to sign a non-disclosure agreement in order to visit the school, which she refused to do, according to a complaint on August 15th. Amber Longacre said she tried to visit Kitty Hawk Middle School, a school not far from San Antonio, according to the New York Post. Several school staffers and the school resource officer approached her and requested that she sign an NDA, a legal agreement meant to guard against sensitive information being leaked, Longacre said. She was not allowed to enter the school to discuss signing the document, her lawyer said. 
Quote, they were just like, sign it. What's the big deal? Just sign it. Attorney Janelle Davis told the Post. Ultimately, Longacre refused to sign the NDA. Quote, there's no way to know how many parents signed the NDA without asking any questions, Longacre told the outlet. Quote, I shared my story because I want to encourage other parents to speak up when something seems off. Longacre also said she felt backed into a corner and as if the school was hiding information from her. After the incident, Longacre had a meeting with Assistant Superintendent of Operations Joseph Guidry, a meeting that she recorded. Guidry claimed at first that the NDA was in place to protect children, but he did not explain how or why specifically the NDA was in place or why the same document appeared on the check-in kiosks at the administration building, according to video footage obtained by the Daily Caller. Longacre filed a complaint with the Judson Independent School District about the NDA. Quote, Texas law is clear that parents are to be encouraged to actively participate in creating and implementing educational programs for their children, reads the complaint. Quote, unfortunately, it appears that Judson ISD has implemented a visitor check-in policy that is inconsistent with this state mandate, end quote. Now, let's pause for a moment to appreciate the bizarre, perverse quality of a public school forcing parents to sign a non-disclosure agreement, even as other parents across the country are having microphones turned off by school boards. They're having the Biden Department of Justice place them on terrorist watch lists. They're having law enforcement forcibly remove them from school board meetings if they're reading books that were available in the public school libraries, describing in explicit terms, sex acts for little children to read, presenting even graphics, cartoons, so as to make this somehow innocent or good or fun, because that's exactly the point. That's what they're trying to convey is to your child, it's good, it's normal, it's natural, it's healthy for you as a child to engage in sex acts with other children. And yes, even as has been discussed for decades in our colleges and universities, with adults too. These are pedophiles. They're sexual degenerates. They are wise in their own eyes, but then they got bored. They got bored with being wise in their own eyes and having lost all their innocence. Now they want to take your child's innocence away. So they feel like maybe they're innocent again. It's a hop, skip, and a jump from that to child sacrifice. And I realize abortion is that, but I don't mean unborn children. I mean children all the way up at any age. They want to shed innocent blood after a period passes wherein we accept that they can molest and rape children. At a certain point, the molesting and the raping of the children isn't enough for them. That follows after the period where they, in a voyeuristic way, encourage the young people to have relations with one another. Why would a parent need to sign an NDA before visiting her child's school? And oh, by the way, how exactly is a mother supposed to talk with other parents and see, hey, did you know about this? Are you concerned about this as well? Exactly. That's the point. That's why they are trying to force parents to sign an NDA so that the parents don't start talking and organizing an opposition to the school administration and the public school teachers and the Department of Education which is headed up by radical leftists. You may scratch your head sometimes why Joe Biden is president. It's precisely for this reason, so that the radical left, having seized institutional power, 
can carry out the long-anticipated, long-awaited communist revolution in this country. That is what they get out of Joe Biden being president. All the better if he's not exactly clear. If he just does whatever he's told because he's an empty vessel now, if he's a figurehead, he's a household name, all the better because that gives them a free hand to see how much of the revolution they can accomplish. And what comes next? The radical left having seized institutional power through a coup in 2020. Make no mistake, it was a coup. Not a coup of MAGA Republicans. It was a coup of the radical left. The same folks who justified burning American cities, murdering American men, women, and children if they said all lives matter, if they voted for Donald Trump, if they were white even just, if they appeared to be rich. The same folks who made excuses for that, who refused to prosecute it, refused to go after it, these are the same folks who want to put parents upset about their children being taught to have sex with other children and adults, heterosexual sex, gay sex, all the sex, to mutilate their bodies, to take hormone therapy and puberty blockers. The same folks have institutional power, and these are the same folks who are prosecuting the Republican frontrunner for president of the United States of America, who was the president that they overthrew in a coup in 2020. These are the same folks who are willing to unleash COVID on the world, and they have institutional power, and they've had it for some time, in the corporate media as well. And so they can block access to information through controlling what narratives will be parroted and repeated day after day, year after year, on NBC, CBS, ABC, MSNBC, CNN, and yes, Fox News as well. That's why Tucker Carlson was removed from primetime, taken away from his vast audience. This is of a piece with a long-standing radical leftist agenda to overthrow the American Republic and institute global communism. And oh, by the way, these are the same people who are okay with your child being traumatized and even suicidal about climate change. They're okay with your child having themselves sterilized and just generally giving up on life, except activism. They're okay with that if it allows them to seize control of the means of production. Why? Because in their twisted satanic worldview, the ends justify the means. In their satanic Marxist worldview, it'll all be worth it when everybody has the same amount of property, even if that same amount is no property. When everybody has the same quality of life, even if that means no quality of life. When everybody has the same freedoms and the same honor, even if that means actually no one is shown any special honor at all, because that's the only way you can make it even. But then that's death. That is godless. That is satanic. Why this public school wanted the parents to sign an NDA is so that the parents don't come into the school and hear what is being said and see what is being done and go and tell the other parents who would together pull their kids out. And oh, by the way, that is the single strongest thing you could do to stop the radical left. Get your kids out of the public schools if you haven't yet. They're not listening to you. They're getting orders from the very, very tippy top. And even if your local school board happens to get a number of conservatives in, Governor Newsom in California has shown 
there is a higher level that can just swoop in and take that seat on the school board away from your conservative school board members, even if it's as simple as they're having said, we're not, we're, we're not so sure about using the curriculum you're demanding we adopt. This curriculum seems to be advocating for radical leftism and not actually teaching social studies. Yep, you're out of there. As for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. Draw that line in the sand. Stop wasting your breath before it's too late. By all means, be persuasive, argue your case, do so respectfully. But at the end of the day, if they want to have you arrested, hauled out in handcuffs, cut your mic, bar you from entering the building ever again, unless you agree to sign an NDA, by golly, they'll do that. And all the while, your kid is still in there? You left your kid in there? I mean, we're talking grooming children. If we really believe that, how powerful is the grip that they have on your heart and your mind and your soul that you haven't already pulled your kids out? If you haven't, if you have, great. And this is why we homeschool. But if you haven't pulled your kids out yet, you're sending your kids anyways, day after day, week after week, month after month, all the while just upset. What are you doing? And for the church that is silent or runs interference, makes excuses because they're afraid of people leaving the church or they're afraid of losing tithes and offerings. What cowardice. It's a dereliction of duty. And yet it's all too common. And it was all too common in Nazi Germany as well. Tell me again about how we're going to preach again about fathers needing to do better, try harder, be more. And yet leave out the part where fathers should be insisting that their children be protected from sexual predators, highly placed in the Department of Education. Tell me again about how we're going to preach at the fathers. It's all their fault, but they, they don't get any of the responsibility, none of the authority. No thanks. An example of this being done, though, comes to us in reporting from Andrew Chapados over at theblaze.com. August 24th, parents pull son from classes after high school says he can't fly large American flags from his truck. Bedford County, Virginia, student Christopher Hartless had his parking pass revoked from Staunton River High School after he refused to remove large American flags from the back of his truck. WSET 13 reported that Hartless said he is simply exercising his First Amendment right to fly the flags and was supported by his stepmother, Christina Kingery, who decided that the family would homeschool the teen unless he was allowed to display the flags. Quote, my family fought for America, and I feel like I should be able to represent the flag that they fought for, Hartless said. The school sent out a weekend reminder, seemingly due in part to the recent controversy, which stated that the, quote, student parking contract, which has been used by all three of our high schools for many years, states large flags or banners are not allowed to be flown or displayed on vehicles due to their distractive nature, end quote. Now, a word or two about this. There are so many American parents whose first instinct will be to say, well, I mean, it's not anything particular to the American flag. It's all flags, right? We need to submit to those who are in authority. Well, wait a second, though. Wait a second. We're talking American flags and a teenager who loves his country because, as he says, his family has fought for America. He may have uncles, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, I don't know, who didn't just fight but were wounded in action, prisoners of war, maybe even died defending 
the flag of these United States. He wants to fly a flag. And this is the problem with the public school system. It's about obedience, first and foremost. Something to think about for parents and clergy and civil authorities alike. What you order someone to do is your choice. If you order someone to do something that is just silly, and then you make it a big deal, you make it a big deal because now they're not following orders, but you're the one who gave the silly order in the first place, you bear some responsibility for having eroded the respect that they are called to show to you as someone in authority. I'll give you an example. As a father, and this is an easy kind of example that we're all so familiar with from the way fathers are so often portrayed in media for years, for decades now. If I go down the stairs right now and I tell one of my sons, hey, pour me a cup of coffee, and he does so, and I say, put some creamer in there, please. At more. At a little more. At now it's too much. Pour it in the sink. Pour me another cup of coffee. If I carry on like that, and I spent the whole day, I spend the whole day telling one of my sons, okay, now do this, now do that. Simon says, touch your nose. Simon says, touch your toes. Simon says, wear your shirt backwards. Simon says, put your shoes on the wrong feet. At a certain point, I have aggravated my son, and you all know it. At a certain point, I have crossed a threshold for what is reasonable to be telling my son to do. Now, it's not to say that there's no circumstance in which it might be valid for me to say, ah, you know what, this coffee, I, there's something off with it. Could you pour this out? But even the way I'm going to ask it is going to be kind and considerate. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. That's a command to fathers in particular. Why? Because if you don't tell fathers, there are limitations. There's a certain emotional intelligence component to your responsibility to your children. What are some fathers going to do? They're going to perversely abuse the fact that they have power over their sons and their daughters, and they will actually engender contempt for legitimate authority. It's like the boy who cried wolf, but in reverse. If everything is dire, every last little regulation, everything is regulated, but every last little regulation is what your purpose and belonging hinges on. The result is crushed spirits. And by the way, that was the idea. That was the philosophical premise for Frederick the Great's Prussian model of public schooling to crush the will to question or to go a different way, to engage in independent thinking, to have an individual conscience and moral compass that might interfere at any point with following orders obediently. Now you say, oh, obedience is a good thing. We need to be more okay with obedience. Yes. But part of the reason why there may be a decreased respect for law is because so often in our country, due to godlessness, due to having detached ourselves from the truth of God's word to tell us what is good, to tell us what is evil, so many laws, so many regulations are capricious and arbitrary and totalitarian. And at a certain point, even when it comes to flying the American flag in the back of your truck, you're going to say, you're not allowed to park at the school. Well, then what, right? What, <laughs> what are your options? Submit. Okay, but why, right? You could say, hey, why is this the hill to die on for this student? 
And an equally legitimate question would be, why is this the hill that the school wants to die on or wants this kid to die on? That knife cuts both ways. Why would you say to a high school student who loves this country, who's proud of the military service of his extended family, why would you say to him, you're not going to be allowed to park at the school if you don't take that flag down? Personally, quite frankly, these parents did exactly the right thing. All right, we're just going to pull our son out and we're going to homeschool him. That's it. Because this isn't just one thing, right? You say, oh, that's such a silly thing to say you're going to pull your kid out of school for. No, no. At a certain point, you reach the last straw because you realize the point is not that this or that law is so important. This or that rule is so important. The point is control. And when the point is control and domination, actually, there's an abusive quality that it takes on. There's a cruel and oppressive quality. Think with me for a moment, again, about Proverbs 31 and the sayings of Lemuel's mother that she said to him from when he was little on up, preparing him for the kingship, giving him instruction and wisdom to be able to rule well and to be a good king someday. She said to him to open his mouth for those who are being oppressed. This is one of the signs of judgment that we see the prophets tell Israel is a sign that they have transgressed God's good law, his good standard, and now they are being punished. One of the signs of judgment is that the people all oppress one another. Now, how is that possible if there is no such thing as oppression? The radical left wants to turn it into anytime there is an inequity, that's oppression. That parents have more authority than their children, that's oppression. That the rich have more money than the poor, that's oppression. That some people get honor and other people don't get honor because some people do what is considered to be good traditionally and objectively according to God's word. And other people don't get honor because they do what is considered to be bad or foolish. We're not honoring them for that. They say that that's oppression. No, what oppression is, is when you're trying to do the good things that God has created you to do, good deeds, good works. You're trying to obey God and fulfill the purpose that he has for your life. And someone resents that. And they want you to bow down to the golden statue of they themselves every time the music plays or else they're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. A slippery slope argument could be made, and I'm sure it was made, to justify in the minds of those who were reprobate in Babylon. Oh, well, you know, if people aren't bowing down with due respect for the king and the statue of the king represents the king, and we all know that, people aren't bowing down to the golden statue of the king when the music plays. Next thing you know, they might be willing to try and assassinate him. See, so we have to punish this as severely as we would assassination and therefore into the fiery furnace with you already. That's oppression. That's unjust, but more to the point, that's a sign that a nation and a people and an institution and an organization has become corrupt and is ruled by corrupt men who are filled with selfish ambition and vain conceit. No, by the way, why are we as Christians warned against doing anything? We're told do nothing from selfish ambition and vain conceit. Why is that? I'll tell you, because selfish ambition and vain conceit expresses itself in malice and cruelty and slander, tearing other people down, making up things so as to take from them what you don't like them having that you wish you had, even if you destroy it in the process, at least they won't have it and it won't be sitting there distracting you. Yeah, why is it so distracting to see an American flag in the parking lot of a public school? How boring are your lessons? How boring is your obedience training if this kid flying an American flag in the back of his pickup truck 
at the public school is so distracting. You know what's distracting? You saying this kid can't park at the school if he doesn't take the flag down. That's distracting. What's distracting is the parents being completely ignored and overwritten because you don't respect the parents having any say here, any authority here. So what if they pay taxes? Yeah, you report to the Department of Education, right? You report to the teachers union, right? You report to the corporate news media, right? Of course, right. Maybe these flags are distracting for people like in our next story. Joel Abbott over at Not To Be posted this August 15th. Again, here's a video Libs of TikTok had tweeted out that's embedded in the write-up. Not for no reason was Libs of TikTok being censored on social media. They just bring the goods in their own words, video of people on the left, people who are not big fans of America, saying what they think, doing what they do. And that is misinformation, malinformation, disinformation, if it leads you to reject leftism and love America. But without further ado, here is cut three and an Australian girl who thinks there are too many American flags in America. Take a listen. I'm just going to say it. There are too many American flags. Like, they're on houses, they're on cars, saw them on couch cushions. Like, I don't know who's making these American flags, but they'd be making a bloody fortune. And, like, you're the only country that I know that does this. Like, the only time I think I've ever seen an Australian flag is, like, on the Harbour Bridge. Could not tell you what it looks like. Like, I know it's, like, blue and it's got some stars on it. But I, I think I could draw the American flag from memory. Like, I think I could make a bloody sculpture out of it. That's how many times I've seen it. It's enough. Let's pull back on it, okay? Let's stay humble. Okay. Um, yeah, humility is great. Also, it's okay to love your country. Maybe we just have a better country than you grew up in. Maybe America is a better country than Australia. I'd love to visit Australia someday. I'm not trying to knock Australia, but maybe the United States at least has been historically a much, much better country than Australia. In fact, I would take that position. I would say that America has, for much of our history, been, if not the best country in world history, pretty close. Pretty, pretty close. We've got to be up there. America was a really, really great country. And oh, by the way, on the humility piece, the reason a lot of Americans are flying American flags is not because they're so happy about how the country is doing right now. Actually, there's a lot of people in America who are very concerned about their country. They're just so sad. They're so very sad and concerned and even angry, yes, because they love this country and they hate what is being done to it. They hate what has been done to it and what the radical left is very clearly intent on doing still more of to the United States. And oh, by the way, the humility thing can be a reason for folks who come to visit our country from somewhere else to be respectful. Be respectful when you're in somebody else's country. If I were in Australia, I might find a number of features of Australian life to be odd, to be bizarre. If it's just my own personal preference, I would really, really try to not be irritable about features that are just annoying, but not 
bad, not evil. So humility can mean that you appreciate that there are differences. You can appreciate that Americans love their country and they want to associate themselves with keeping America good. They don't like that America has been corrupted and is being led by corrupt men. They don't like that. It grieves them. But they also know that America is inhabited by a lot of decent people, a lot of people who love their wives and their children, if they're men, of their husbands and their sons and their daughters, if they're women, honoring their fathers, their grandfathers, their great-grandfathers, served this country. There are a lot of Americans who fly American flags because they are proud to be an American, where at least historically they have known they're free. They don't want to forget that men died to protect their freedoms, to protect them from enemies from foreign countries, and yes, even to establish their right to self-government, to establish this republic, ruled by laws foremost, not ruled by men. Where you respect an office, yes, but the man who inhabits that office, you can, if he is doing a very poor job, you should, if he is doing a corrupt job, hold accountable and remove from office and replace with someone with better character. This Australian maybe is expressing a similar sentiment to what that school district in Virginia is operating out of or trying to cater to. Some of the students have complained about these giant American flags flying from the back of this teenage boy's pickup truck in the parking lot. We don't want to upset these people. We're tired of complaints from them. We told them we would do something about it, and so we're just going to say, yeah, you got to take those flags down or else we're going to remove your parking pass. Maybe this Australian girl is the kind of person that the left wants us to be more like. Dissolve national borders, dissolve national identity, dissolve even the bonds between parents and children, between husbands and wives, dissolve all of that so that we can be global citizens, which is to say citizens of utopia, which is nowhere. No thanks. I'll keep the American flags. And even if I don't always fly one, I have one on my shelf, the folded flag of my grandfather, Renu, who I was a pallbearer for when he passed away. He served in World War II. I have a number of things which were his during World War II. I have the flag that was laid on his coffin and folded, put in a display case. I have it sitting on my shelf to remember him by, to honor his memory thereby. I'll keep my American flag, and I appreciate that others fly theirs. Thank you very much. Back to Virginia, though, and back to public schools. Virginia AG confirms validity of Youngkin's new school policy, which upholds parental rights and curbs gender ideology. It's not just common sense. It's the law, Joseph McKinnon reports for TheBlaze.com. Virginia Attorney General Jason Myaris confirmed in a Wednesday opinion the legitimacy and constitutionality of the model policies advanced by the Virginia Department of Education under Governor Glenn Youngkin, which curb gender ideology and keep students' sports and bathrooms sex segregated. Mayares indicated the parental rights-affirming policies comply with the Virginia Human Rights Act, the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, and Title IX of the Education Amendments Act of 1972, making clear that school boards across the Commonwealth should support and implement them. It's not just common sense, it's the law. 
While LGBT activists and school board officials have taken issue with the policies, Mayaris indicated that, quote, every single school district has to reckon with the prospect that their failure to fall in line with the law will open them up to legal action by parents. The VDOE's, quote, model policies on ensuring privacy, dignity, and respect for all students and parents in Virginia's public schools highlights at the outset the preeminence of parental rights, particularly as it pertains to children and their education. The VDOE noted that the activist policies under the previous administration, quote, disregarded the rights of parents and ignored other legal and constitutional principles that significantly impact how schools educate students. So it has nullified them and started again. This time around, the department defers to parents, quote, to make the best decisions with respect to their children and guarantees them they will remain informed about their children's well-being without limitation. Now, this is good. This is close. This is very close to what it should be. It's still not quite enough. And why I say it's not quite enough is because we need school choice. We need the tax dollars to follow the child so that little passive-aggressive ways of trying to skirt this don't force parents to have to go and get a lawyer to drag their local public school into court. You want to make this really stick? You want to put some teeth in it? Have the tax dollars that would go to the public school in your district, if you sent your children to that school, have those tax dollars follow your child to whatever school the parent decides to send them to. That's how you put some teeth in this. Do you mean it? Do you mean that parents are to be informed and have the first say in how their children are educated? Do you mean it? Okay, then do what Vivek Ramaswamy and Ron DeSantis pledged to do at the GOP primary debates that Fox News hosted at the Reagan Library. Do that. Then we'll be getting somewhere. Then we will actually see a change in the tone and tenor because either A, public schools will start to perk up when parents say, hey, I don't, I'd like to see this. I'm not seeing it. I'm concerned about such and such. And I am seeing it. You will start to see schools get innovative in ways they haven't been for a century. You'll start to see good schools competing with even better schools for students. You'll start to see teachers that are good at their job, who parents like and affirm and love and want to keep around, getting paid higher salaries. And the bad teachers, you'll start to see them getting fired like they should be. Yeah. You know what? Go get a real job because you're not doing your job. A good teacher, that's a real job. But a bad teacher can do practically nothing. And as long as they're checking the boxes, they might be very, very hard to get rid of. Or even if they do something egregious, they might get fired from one school, go down the road to the next. And the parents this next school year will have no idea about anything that they were involved in. Make the tax dollars follow the child and the parents decide where their child is educated, whether public school or a private school. Yes, even Christian schools and Catholic schools or better still, homeschooling. And yes, as a matter of fact, I am arguing that every red cent that would be going to the public school would be far better spent going to 
parents who homeschool their kids. But speaking of money, speaking of the people who make these decisions ultimately, for better or worse, and how we should hope that they will make these decisions for the better. We should pray for those who are in positions of authority that we can have nice, quiet, peaceable lives, minding our own affairs. We should aspire to living a quiet life, working with our hands, minding our own affairs. Jesse James over at Not The Bee published a piece just this morning. Oliver Anthony laughs about Fox playing Richmond North of Richmond at GOP debate. Quote, I wrote that song about those people. That cracks me up. Our last cut, our last audio I'll play for you is Oliver Anthony sitting in what appears to be either a tractor, cab, or a pickup truck and talking about this. Here it is. Cut four. Take a listen. It's aggravating seeing people on conservative news try to identify with me like I'm one of them. It's aggravating seeing certain musicians and politicians act like we're buddies and and act like we're fighting the same struggle here, like that we're trying to present the same message. Uh, you know, I've, I've had a lot of people reach out to me, and I've tried to be polite to everybody, and um, I've talked to hundreds of people the last two weeks. But it seems like certain people want to just ride the attention of this song to maybe make them their own selves relevant, and that's aggravating as hell. The other thing that I find aggravating is, uh, well... You know, like, it was funny seeing my song in the, it was fun, it was funny seeing it at the presidential debate, because it's like, I wrote that song about those people, you know, so for them to have to sit there and listen to that, uh, that cracks me up. <laughs> uh, but it was funny kind of seeing the response to it, like, that song has nothing to do with Joe Biden, you know, it's a lot bigger than Joe Biden, um. That song is written about the people on the on that stage, and a lot more too. Not just them, but but definitely them. And that's fair, to a point, but only to a point. Allow me to prove my good intentions by distancing myself from Oliver Anthony, <laughs> from one blue collar American concerned about local communities, to another who is not a rich man. I, I'm not a rich man. <laughs> I assure you, not a rich man north of Richmond. What we don't want to promote is rich versus poor, because it's not. All rich people are bad, and all poor people are good, and any of that. No, it's not that all poor people are bad, and all rich people are good. It's not that all the rich and the poor people are bad, but it's that you've got to pay attention to the individual actions and positions and track record of individual people, does what they say line up with the truth or not? Does what they want to do and does what they are doing and does what they have been doing line up with what is objectively good according to God? And if it doesn't, then there's the tell. And I don't care how much money or how little money they have. That's the tell. That should be the test. That should be the sign. To his credit, Oliver Anthony tweeted out just yesterday about 9.20 p.m., I don't support either side politically, not the left, not the right. I'm about supporting people and restoring local communities. Now go breathe some fresh air and relax, please. I'm not worth obsessing over. I promise. Go spend time with your loved ones. And here 
I want to pivot back to Joshua 23 and 24. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Even if everything was going great right now, that would be an appropriate posture to take. That would be a needful posture to take. In fact, I think the reason why we're in the mess that we're in right now is because a lot of men were lured away from that mindset. If they ever were in it to begin with, they were lured away and enticed by sinful desires, greed for unjust gain, envy at others who had what they didn't have, resentment of those who received more honor or wealth or opportunity as they saw it, and whether they just drowned their resentment, their envy in a bottle, or they worked themselves into a lather to unseat everybody they were jealous of, to destroy their enemies. Conan, what is best in life? <laughs> you know, whether it was that or it was greedy's good, like Gordon Gecko from Wall Street, a lot of men abandoned their posts. And still more men were told by institutions they should otherwise have been able to trust, but they couldn't. They, they shouldn't have trusted them. Your services are no longer needed. When the public schools do ever more and more of the job of deciding for parents, and then all of a sudden the parents are like, hey, wait a second, we're going to retake some authority here, some say-so. We're not good. We thought you guys were handling it and doing what was right. We thought you were doing things the way we were brought up with. We just assumed, I mean, we have friends that are teachers at this school. We have family that have been teachers at this school. We just assumed you guys were teaching our kids to read and write and do math. And now you're teaching them to mutilate their bodies and change their pronouns and sleep around and become climate change activists. What, what is this? No, we're not good with that. It was being subtly messaged and not so subtly messaged at other times to fathers in particular for decades that their input was not needed. And as a matter of fact, they should probably just focus on doing their job in the community. Mind your own business, but out. You're just going to make a mess of it. And unfortunately, far too many fathers said, okay, fine. You don't want my input? Do what you want. I don't care. There were far too many mothers and wives who were lured away from submitting to their own husbands with a promise of self-actualization, liberation, women's empowerment. The vast majority of divorces are instigated by women. As a result, a lot of children are aborted because their mothers decide. But these women have been persuaded that that's an acceptable choice. Yeah, you can make any choice you want. Also, some of those choices are objectively, according to God, evil. You say you're pro-choice. How about be pro-good choice? Be pro-choices that should be rewarded instead of choices that should be punished. Murder is a choice. Every murderer made a choice. You're going to say you're pro-choice in the abstract? Not so fast. There were a whole lot of men and women who kept on going to church every Sunday, putting on their fancy Sunday clothes, showing up, making an appearance, glad-handing, keeping a smile on their face, keeping up appearances, even as they sent their children off to be trained in godlessness, even as they sat their children in front of the TV, or now the smartphone and the computer screen, to be told God knows what, 
by God knows who. The problem in America is more than super rich men. It is, yes, some very corrupt, rich, wealthy, totalitarian people who will stop at nothing to get richer still and have all the power in the world, whatever they have to do to whoever, however they have to do it. But the problem is also a lot bigger than the poor who are on welfare or food stamps or live in public housing. The problem is a lot bigger than fat people in Walmart who don't know how to dress appropriately, who can't walk under their own power to the aisle with the fudge rounds that they're going to buy with food stamps. The problem is a lot bigger than that. The problem is actually, and here I go back to agreeing with Oliver Anthony, the problem is we put so many eggs in the basket of being recognized statewide, across the nation, internationally. We sell our souls for what? We sell the souls of our wives and our children and our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors and our communities. And for what? He says here, just last night, I'm about supporting people and restoring local communities. You know what would restore local communities? Husbands and fathers seeking God's face. John the Baptist, it was said, would turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. And Jesus said that John had fulfilled it, had fulfilled Malachi 3.1. And yet, when you have that happening, it's not enough. It's not all there is to it. The hearts of the fathers have to be turned back to the children, but that's because those fathers have said, as Joshua says at the close of the book named after him, as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. The reason why your heart turns back to your children as a father is because you serve Yahweh and Yahweh commanded you to train up your children in love for him, remembrance of what he's done, knowledge of the Holy One. And when that happens, when fathers do this, guess what? They earn the respect and admiration and affection of their wives, even reluctantly sometimes when wives are wicked and they have been led astray and they've been tempted by the evil one to become puffed up and arrogant and self-indulgent busybodies and gossips. They can't help but even begrudgingly admit that the fathers of their children are doing a good thing to love them, to not provoke them to wrath. You know, this is something that occurred to me as I was giving the presentation for our first Ecclesia Forum on the topic of education, that there's a passive way that fathers can provoke their children's wrath. It's not all just active, like a father actively torments his child by barking orders in a harsh way, arbitrary commands, constant criticism, tearing his children down. Fathers can also provoke their children to wrath through passivity and negligence, laziness, cowardice, a failure to show up and protect. And actually, arguably, that is the kind of provoking children to wrath which we have normalized in the churches. As much criticism as is leveled at fathers, you know what I've never, not a single solitary time, heard a sermon calling the men to be more, to be better, focus on. I've never once, and I'm 36 going on 37, I've never once heard a sermon directed at fathers saying they need to protect their children. It's always provide. It's always love and affirm. 
it's always be there for them, go to their ball games, ask them how their day is going, listen to them. That's all good. That's all great. I, I have no objections to fathers being encouraged to be present, to be attentive. But then why is the presence of fathers not causing their sons and their daughters to be pulled out of a corrupt and godless and degenerate compulsory government schooling system. And how many of these kids are frustrated? They're angry young men and snarky, disdainful young women. How many of these young men and young women are angry, are self-harming because their fathers have left them to fend for themselves and basically have communicated thereby to them that they are not worth his time, his attention, his putting himself out there to protect them, not just to provide. You know, it's funny, and I don't mean this like to be trite, but it's odd. That's what I mean by funny. It's odd. It's bizarre. It's not good. When a woman in America divorces her husband for any reason or no reason at all, the court system will require him to liquidate his assets and she gets half. Beyond that, the court system will require him to pay monthly for the upkeep and maintenance of his child or children who typically will live with their mother. The protection piece is seldom to never brought into the equation. In fact, as a matter of fact, there have been several prominent cases in recent years where fathers are mortified by what the child is being encouraged to embrace in the way of gender theory, for instance, changing their pronouns, taking puberty blockers, undergoing gender reaffirming, gender denying surgery, really, is what we should call it. And the courts have said, but out. For that matter, too, what's curious is it's a mother's choice, abortion. If a woman gets pregnant and the father of the child pleads, he can beg and plead all he wants, and this justice system or should I say injustice system, would sooner slap a restraining order on him than heed his earnest, heartfelt desire to protect his unborn child if the mother decides she wants to get an abortion. What's that about? Where are the sermons about that? And we wonder why politically, socially, we're in so much trouble right now. We shouldn't wonder. We're playing dumb, perhaps. Rescue those who are being led away to the slaughter. I don't think that's always just this physical thing. I think that's also mentally, emotionally, intellectually, psychologically, socially, spiritually. You can't say you didn't know. He who sees in secret, he who sits in heaven, knows that you knew and you chose to do nothing. And when you chose to do nothing, but it was your job to protect, shame on you. On the flip side, on the other hand, where I 100% agree with Oliver Anthony, Supporting people, restoring local communities, that would be great. I say go a step farther. Understand that men need to provide and protect and set the example and lead and love all at the same time. Not you get to be listened to and heeded once we feel like you're sufficiently loving. But by sufficiently loving, we're going to mean you have to affirm everything and watch your tone. No, no, stop. Or else what? Do we make the command to husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church? 
conditional like we make so often. The command to wives to submit to their husbands and everything as unto the Lord conditional. No, no, indeed we don't. It's partiality. Or we say to the children, we say effectively, we understand that your parents are not perfect. Yeah. How about you every now and then? Don't. (laughs) Don't. That's getting plenty enough airtime that parents make mistakes. How about you focus on all the other influences in these children's lives that also make mistakes? I think you're investing in the wrong place, this qualifying to death of parental authority, not just for dads, also for moms, but especially for dads. Play up the responsibility for husbands and fathers and qualify to death they're having any actual authority. When Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, he is speaking as one in authority, not just in an abstract civil authorities over Israel, legacy, renowned sense. He's speaking as one in authority over his household. Until we rediscover the goodness, appropriateness, and necessity of that, it's just when. It's not if, it's when we well and truly collapse. But then you know what? That's just it. What do you think is going to be on the other end of an absolute and total collapse of the United States of America, which is underway when it well and truly, once and for all, dies the death, this country, if we let it, if we contribute to that through passive and active contributions, what will rise from the ashes on the other end will be men who know they have authority. And now the question is just, what do we do with it? Not those who say, yeah, men, fathers, husbands, you don't have any authority. You're not the head of your household. Those people are the ones in charge who got us to where we're at right now. So long as they're stuck on that, we are still headed for the cliff. I hope, for one, speaking personally, I hope to see a resurgence of men saying, as Joshua did, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The more of that we see, the stronger local communities will be the more supported people in your neighborhood, in your town, in your city, in your county, in your state will be, including but not limited to those who have a father in the home, those who have their mother and their father still married in a healthy home, also those who are fatherless, those who are orphans. The only way a man has the capacity really truly to care for the orphans and the widows in his community is when he has his household in order. Otherwise, he is just creating still more orphans and widows. But I hope and I pray we will see more men who say, as for me and my household, we will serve Yahweh. And you know what? That's as good a place as any to either start trying to reform this country so that it doesn't die so that it has a good future, so that it can be blessed again instead of under judgment as it is right now. Or supposing we've all given up on that, and many of us have, and I I know lots of people have, time will tell. It ain't over till the fat lady sings, as the old opera cliche goes. If it does well and truly die the death, and this is just waiting for the end, the very, very best way for us to endure what 
comes next and what is happening right now is for us to invest in our wives, our children, men, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our towns and cities to invest, to pay attention, to be attentive, to be vocal, to be active. So when you really boil it down, it's a win-win for that to be the focus of our energies and for us to not grow weary in doing what is good. And the results, what will be, will be. And amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But that's all the time I've got for this episode. I got to run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.